the Enter Sad Men podcast. Every rock and metal album you should own. Reviewed, rated, and ranked. Welcome everyone to another edition of the Enter Sad Men podcast. The only podcast that aims to rate, review, rank uh, the best albums, best rock, metal, prog, disco, no not disco, albums that you should either own or have listened to in your lifetime. We're up to 222, which you can find on our website, www entersadmen.co.uk there's loads of other stuff on there as well uh rich and steve with me as always um there are some rules we don't review compilation albums uh if steve had his way we wouldn't review live albums and if i had my way we wouldn't review grunge albums however um, that's not how the rules work so we do do grunge uh we do do live but we don't do compilations anyway how are you boys have you had a good week yeah very good Yet again, with our choices for this episode, we show what a broad church we worship in, <laughs> including the dank and dirty cellar. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, no, it's been it's easy. It's been a good week. How are you? You're all right? When you do say grunge, by the way, you, you've barely got your hands dirty with that, really, have you, thus far? No. And, and you've Stone, no intention of, really, have you? Stone Temple Pilots. I think that's about yeah. as far as I've got with that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there will come a yeah, time. Sorry. There yes, I know, I know. Anyway, uh, so we review albums, we choose albums based on a theme that is provided by our Tombola. Uh, it's actually a phone randomizer, but it's a Tombola. We have named Tico Torres, the Tico Torres Tombola of Topics and Themes, after the excellent Bon Jovi Stixman. And last time out, he came up with inventions. And to say, well, to say we stretch the elastic would be possibly understating events. Um, so we all chosen an album. Richard, your album is? Uh, Vital Signs by Survivor. There is an oscilloscope on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, see, ladies and gentlemen, I rest my case. Steve, um, you, you basically the theme into the album that you wanted to play didn't you? yeah 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 there's a, there's a very fat bloke in a gimp in a gimp costume on the cover of mine um but yeah but there is an invention the invention being pile driver and i'm doing stay ugly excellent well i wanted to review dockins breaking the chain so i looked up chains and um apparently they were invented in conceptual terms by leonardo da vinci so that was it Thank you very much. Uh, so those are the three albums. Listen, listen, we've done more spurious than that. I mean, that's fine. That's that's a, that's a, that's a sticking to the brief trio as far as I'm concerned. Je- jellyfish and pubs. <laughs> um, so, yes. Okay. So Dokken, Piledriver and Survivor. I've got a feeling that, um, that the conversation that follows over the next hour, hour and a quarter or so is going to be pretty hilarious. Um, but we shall see. The first thing we need to do is to let everybody hear a little bit of what we've been listening to over the last week. So here are snippets from all of the albums. Oh, 
So we'll kick this off. We always do. We do these things in chronological order. Um, and even I can figure out that the first of the three, therefore, is um, Dokken and Dokken's debut, Breaking the Chains. Don Dokken's debut or Dokken's debut? It depends who you read, what you read, doesn't it, Mark? Opening album sleeve notes. It does depend on who and what you read. I think originally intended, wasn't it, as a solo uh, mm. affair, um, but kind of morphed into a band affair, particularly when Cliff Bernstein of Q Prime Management got hold of them and um, kind of took them to America. But that happens a bit a bit later on because this story starts in 1981 when a young Donald Maynard Dockin heads over to Germany, uh, to Cologne specifically, to sing backing vocals on the Scorpions' Blackout album, uh, which is being recorded at the Dieter Dirks studio. And young Don is a wannabe, um, wannabe rock star who's written a few tunes and he gets quite close to Dieter Dirks, uh, who goes on obviously to produce a number of uh, the Scorpions albums. And uh, he gets quite a lot of encouragement from Dieter Dirks, who says, look, you know, um, I'll give you whatever leftover time there is from the Scorpion session. You can record some stuff in the studio and we'll see where that takes you. So Breaking the Chains is pretty much the product of a very hurried process of recording in which Don Dockin threw together a band that uh, at the time include where well, it depends who you believe, right? And this it all gets very murky. So the actual true story of this is probably lost in the mist of Don Dockin's mind. But as best as I can work out, the band that records this album in 1981 in Germany is Don Dockin on vocals and guitar, George Lynch on lead guitar, Mick Brown on drums, and they're joined on bass by Peter Baltes, who goes on obviously to become a, a mainstay of Accept. There's also, because later on, of course, Juan Crucier, who goes on to join Rat and find fame with them, Juan Crucier is the, the bass player on the album, on the 1983 version of the album. He re-records the bass parts from the 1981 recording sessions. But there's, I read, and it was only in one source, so I have no idea how true this is, but apparently Tom Crucier Juan's brother originally played the bass parts on the album. I can't find, I can only find one reference to that. Everything else suggests Peter Baltes uh, is on it. So let's go with Peter Baltes. Um, it's recorded uh, in, as I say, in 81. It's produced by Michael Wagner and Dieter Dirks. Runs to just over 30 minutes, 35 minutes. And it's released on, well, it's the Career record label. And we know what happens to bands that are on Career. Um, well, Saxon aside. Um, so this is released on some date in 1981. And then two years later, in September 1983, it is re-released as Breaking the Chain. Um, so this, yeah, this is, well, what are they? They've been called a cock rock band, a glam metal band. They're neither of those two things. They are very poppy. I'll tell you what Don Dockin and George Lynch can do. They can write a bloody hook line, that's for sure, because they're all over this album and they're all over Tooth and Nail and they're all over Under Lock and Key and they're all over um, Back for the Attack, wasn't it? It's poppy, but it's quite hard pop. It is very much in keeping with the kind of the West Coast sound that was going on at the time. But there's something about Dokken that sets them apart from other people, other bands. And and I come back, we, we do this a lot on the podcast. I come back and think, why were they not bigger than they actually ended up being? Because 
this is all really accessible stuff and it should have been flying off the shelves. I mean, they were well known. They were big on the circuit, but they never got to that state. I only have, we only ever saw them, didn't we, Steve, as a support band, never, a, never a headlining band in the UK. Maybe it was different in America, but this is breaking the chains. Um, is it essential? I, I, I saw it described as enjoyable, but not necessarily essential listening. I think that's probably a fair representation of the album. There are bits of it that I absolutely love. There are bits of it where I just kind of raise an eyebrow and go, oh, that didn't work. And there's some stuff in the middle that is perfectly decent stuff. I really like it. I enjoy it. How did you two get on? I think it's great. It's not cock rock. It's not hair metal. It is proper classic melodic hard rock um you can see the scorpions in it i mean the other band allegedly that was in the studio at the same time was accept wasn't it and and uh, mm. and, and doc and got to know uh, them essential as a as a, an album that that we you know you would use to sort of chart um how all this uh, the type of music we love progressed i think it's it it plays an important part I'm, i agree with you it's it is underrated I think the production does let it down. It's very light. Dokken did re-record in you know not not too many years ago. They re-recorded quite a lot of the songs on this album with you know much better production and everything, and, and that's got a hell of a lot more oomph. But in terms of ten songs, I, I think it's great. Steve, is it as essential as Under Lock and Key and Tooth and Nail? Oh, that's a very difficult one to answer on the grounds that I prefer Under Lock and Key is my favourite Dokken album, so. I would necessarily say no, but then I would also, in the same breath, say yes because of where it was in their discography, where it was in 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 their lifespan. The, the two words that I'll put, they're almost sort of oxymorons, or um, it's it's raw and it's mature. They've managed to do both because it is raw, but those but the song the songwriting skills are there for all to see. There's a real maturity in here and a real sort of mm. you know, it's quite eclectic, you know, in a time when. It's quite brave call, some of the stuff on here. But th- th- this is an album that's all about time and place for me, um, and I can't overstate the importance of an album like this in my hard rock and heavy metal upbringing. The, the whole thing of what we do is nostalgic. Of course, it's nostalgic. It's bound to be. So the time frame we work to whisks us back to points in time, and, and, and even though I can't specifically remember exactly where, sorry, when I heard Breaking the Chains, I'm pretty sure I know where I was, and it'll be either the third or fourth floor of because I can't remember of a of a block of flats in Hastings. So, yeah. and, and so I'll have a massive deep affection for it because of that. It was part of my sort of second metal win. But on top of all the personal stuff, it's also such a, it's a bloody good album and essential. So I'll be the third one to go for the essential angle. And it, if I'm over overflating this, then then you know tick me off. But to me, it's a bit like Kill 'Em All to Metallica. No, that wasn't the Metallica we eventually grew up loving, and this isn't the Dokken we eventually grew to love, but it's a crucial signpost. There's so many pointers as to what was to come. You know, there's two or three songs on here. I can immediately pick a song from Lock and Key or, or Tooth and Nail, or even Back for the Attack. Um, it's quite punky um, in places. You know, they, they, they've culled a... Well, I suppose it would be, given the time of when it was. You know, you think 83, because that's what you think of a lecture, but hang on a minute. You know, most of this stuff was probably written about 1980, wasn't it? 7980. Yeah, and I was going to bring that up, actually, because it goes back to that, what you were saying about it being raw and mature. Mm. Because when you think about where this music was in 1980, 81, mm. this is actually quite polished music, I mean, in terms of the songwriting. Yeah, and if you imagine who their influences would have been, clearly the Scorpions. I mean, Doc and presumably had a very soft spot for them, given the gig he was on. 
but you know the new wave of British heavy metal and the punk, everything was going around, and they've almost kind of kind of instilled it and distilled it into their own style. Um, sh- yeah, I- I've I've got a massive soft spot for this, and and to me it is essential. To me, it absolutely is. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. I'm glad you say that because I mean I, I I say when I said you know it, that's probably fair, essential, enjoyable rather than essential. I, it's essential for me as well, but I'm not sure whether it translates as being essential for others. So anyway, it's got um, it's a ten tracker because they all were back in the day. Um, and side one is uh, breaking the chains, seven thunders. I can't see you in the middle, and we're illegal. Flip it over, and you get Paris, uh, which is the last track on the '83 version. Stick to your guns, uh, which are you know I'll froth about later. <laughs> Doc and Young Girls, uh, Felony, and Night Rider. I read somewhere that uh, Young Girls, Felony, and Night Rider where the drum track on that was was done by Bobby Blotzer. But the timeline doesn't... Although Dokken and Blotzer must have known each other from the strip um, because of the way that everything was kind of percolating around LA at the time, uh, there's nothing to suggest they were knocking around together in in, in, uh, Cologne at the time. Anyway, who knows? It's all lost in the mist of time. So, right, listen, before you start, the only thing I can add to the Juan Crucier thing, and I've, apparently he's very, he's very, he doesn't do a lot of interviews, because anything I read, that he wasn't in Germany at all. He was a member of Dokken, but wasn't in Germany at all because he couldn't afford to leave the house in the States. Really? Yeah, basically. That, now, that, again, I've only seen that from one, from one source. So it just adds to this myth of who the hell played bass. We, we presume Peter Baltes and... Tom Crucier, I don't know, you know. So they can just generally mention Crucier, can't there's a surname and covers all bases. Um, but anyway, we haven't, we haven't talked about the dynamite, the dynamite between Lynch and Dokken, which makes you wonder how on earth this album is quite this good. They just never got on, did they? Fucking no. hated each other's guts <laughs> from, from point A. He didn't want him in the band, did he? No. It's it's amazing. It's, it's one of those stories, isn't it, where the... It is that friction, I think, that creates this sort of gunpowder effect that you mm. get 
in this album. It's it's astonishing. The, the fact they stayed together for four albums oh, no. as well. I mean, it's Simon yeah. and Garfunkel with Blows being traded, isn't it? It's, um, yes. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> but, it, I mean, it gets off to a, I mean, it takes you by the throat. If you talk about, you know, this sort of hugely melodic, hugely hooky, Breaking the Chains, the title track is the first track. And it, it's got a hit single all over it, except it was never a hit single. Um, but this was the first track that I ever heard by Doc, and it was like, okay, I'm getting that album. And um, you know what I mean? It's one of those tracks where you just go, this is just great. Um, but, you know, you listen to this, you just go, oh, my God. I don't remember the video on MTV. I'm glad <laughs> I don't remember the video on MTV because it kind of spoils the song. <laughs> it does, done it, a little bit. George Lynch shouldn't have just fiddled around with an S on his name after that video. He should have changed his whole fucking name and identity yeah. and moved to... Papua New Guinea or something, but it's just embarrassing. The highlight of that video, anyone who's not seen the video, go check out the Break in the Chains video. Uh, to me, it's, it's when Dokken is chained up on the bed, looking like he's on some sort of spa break. I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> Richard's a drummer, okay? Everybody, Richard plays the drums. How, how awkward, Richard. Did Mick Brown look when he when he's unchained and he's only got a pair of sticks? <laughs> Hammering away to the beat doesn't it doesn't disguise the quality of the track. No, it doesn't. And and actually, do you know what? The, I think side one is is it follows in the same vein. It's really really melodic. It's got you know they they've clearly they they have clearly prioritised writing sort of really catchy stuff um, and then just kind of building guitar parts around it and, you know, and the drums and the bass and what have you. But everything is kind of rooted in this really accessible, almost AOR approach, isn't it? Track one is followed by Seven Thunders, which is just, you know, again, really hooky. Well, it is, but it's also kind of there's a, there's a, you can almost you can see a difference. Seven Thunders to me is quite a surprising second track because it's almost a little bit seventies in that sort of dreamy opening, and indeed the chorus. It's not a patch on the opener, which is which is docking as far as I'm concerned. But then track three, for example, I can't see you. It's like a new wave track, and, and I, I don't, don't mean new wave of British heavy metal. I mean punk new yep. wave. I mean yep. you can yep. see XTC or the Vapors doing that, or if you want to give yep. it a kind of rock tinge, maybe Hanoi Rocks. Also, something that Green Day would later go on and do. I mean, that's where I got with I Can't See You. And then in the middle, um, which is the fourth one, is kind of classic Dokken. A little bit of wandering, a little bit of motive, pause, crunch, power on, in, in that classic Dokken way. Um, and then We're Illegal, which I must admit, I do prefer Live to Rock, which is what it became, wasn't it? On, um, yes, on the Electra. Really, yeah. There's not a lot in it, but um, the highlight of that is the ACDC-esque there's a little ACDCS drive, which they should have extended for about from 20 seconds to about three hours. But um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this is this does feel like an album that has been thrown together in a hurry, which is exactly what it is. Yeah, it, that's um, a positive thing, though, isn't it? Because I'm, yeah. I'm just trying to hit, highlight the fact that it is eclectic. There's so much going on in five tracks, yeah. five very different tracks. I think it's really clever stuff. I don't know. I mean, if, if it was a more established band, we'd, we'd be saying, you know, how well a side was constructed. Because mm. it there's, there's, there's huge variety. Uh, Breaking the Chains, yeah, perfect opener. One amongst our best calling cards in terms of those, that, that album one, track one. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's, 
it's it's just fantastic. Listen through headphones to breaking the change. You can hear an absolute scorpion's chug, a la sort of coast to coast or whatever, in your left ear yeah. all the all the way through. Yeah, I got the I got the new AV I can't see you. I got Hanoi Rocks in in the middle. The way yeah, that okay. starts off, that's a real real kind of Hanoi Rocks type uh, sort of start. And then and then I was thinking about in the middle and tracks like that that must have influenced rap. It, mm. I've, I've got a bit of of, of rap in, in in there. And I got some Judas Priest in We're Illegal. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I, I, as a side, I, I think it's got a wonderful variety. I, I was watching, I re-watched the other night the, the Y&T documentary on with the show. And Don Dockham features quite a lot in that. Yeah, he is very self-deprecating about his voice. You know, he, he talks about Menichetti. He says, you know, Dave Menichetti at, at 60 sounds like Dave Menichetti at 27. Me at 60, I sound like me at 60. Mm-hmm. Um you know, but I don't think we're ever going to point to Don Dokken as one of rock's most accomplished singers, are we? But mm. is he one of these singers who is absolutely right for this band? Yeah, mm. it works. Yeah, I agree. It works. I love his voice. I don't think he sounded any better, if I'm honest. Um, but of course, he's helped by this phenomenal backroom. Um, I mean, Lynch, we know as a, as a showman guitarist, fantastic. But when he's just being part of the, the trio, with um, Brown and bassist A, B, or C, um, <laughs> there's a, just such a cracking rhythm, isn't there? It's such a great yeah. engine room. All right, so you turn the album over and you get um, Paris, the studio version on the 80. Bear in mind, we are reviewing the 81 version, not the 83, which kind of doesn't make a lot of sense, I suppose, because the 83 version is the better known. Um, but, yeah, we're purists and we're <laughs> anal and we are sad men. Uh, so, therefore, we are going to review the 81 original and we get Paris, which was a live version on the 83 version of this, um, but is a studio version um, in 1981. I mean, I like Paris. Some people think this is the best track on the album. I don't. Um, but it's a strong start to side two. I would say, yeah, yeah. It needed better production. I mean, as as the whole album, ideally did. I, I do like the sound. I it, it, it you, sort of, you kind of get used to it, but particularly, it's incredibly thin and light on Paris. I don't know why, and allegedly that was why they included the live version in the re-release. That they they just didn't the, the this this original <laughs> just didn't have enough oomph. But as a song, in terms of the way it's written, its structure, I, I think it's great, and it, it really, really charges along. Of course, the the, um, the album was put out, wasn't it? As a, there were about fifty copies pressed by Career Records that had it as the Don Dokken mm. debut. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, let let us know if you've got one because <laughs> yes. they're rare as hell. Well, yeah. Let us know if you have one. And send we'll it give in. you a five before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I I think this is an album that that tails off a bit on side two. I don't think it's as strong as side one. Um, I think you know if you listen to, I think Richard, you, you you often say, yeah, this is a bit more straightforward. This doesn't have the personality of some other, no. and I feel that way about the back end of this, the last two or three tracks. <clears throat> if I'm being absolutely honest. I say that about I was uh, uh, interested in what you think and what Steve thinks of Stick to Your Guns because I, I find Stick to Your Guns is one of the well, there's no weak tracks on this album but it's a lower scorer for me because mm. again it's it's more straightforward in terms of its um, its songwriting 
So it, it, side two for me kind of goes a bit a bit up and down. Oh, the, the, the one the one thing I don't know if you got. I mean, you, you two are the massive Motley Crue fans. I mean, did Dokken ever sue Motley Crue? <laughs> because because the riff to young girls has been completely ripped off by by looks that kill. It is it is absolutely looks that kill. Um, it is, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm amazed. <laughs> I think it was such a melting pot, wasn't it? LA at that time, everyone was ripping everybody else off left, right, and centre. Yeah, but but remember the. the to Steve's point, we are talking here about an 81 album with tracks that would have been written a year earlier. So, yeah. almost looks to kill 83. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't know. And the other, and the other slight weird thing about side two is, is you know, with stuff like you know, young girls and felony. What, what, what is it with this, um, with with the young girls bit? <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's a very dubious subject matter. But, I know, um, but it crops up so often, doesn't it? Yeah, I know. I, know. I mean, I, I don't particularly remember sort of underage sex being much of a badge of honour at any time in my life. But no. it, it does seem to have a kind of a, this sort of thematic sort of commonality in, in this kind of music back from in the 90, early 80s. I don't, I don't mm. get it. I mean, to, but, to, to your earlier point about, about tailing off, for me it doesn't, because I think nah, the last right. track, Night Rider, is the strongest track on, on side two. Um, I, I love the finish. I mean, it's got a, a bit of a, sort of a golden earring, radar love feel to it. It builds really nicely. And it absolutely, we're talking about imagery and music, it absolutely stirs images of, of driving at night. Um, it's obviously not a metal death racer. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, but when I say tails off, I don't mean it drops off a cliff. I'm just saying I think the first side of this album is stronger than side two. I'd agree with that. Yeah, yeah. I see. I disagree. I, I, I think the problem is they set the bar so high with track one, and, and if we're going to talk about tumbling off a cliff edge, then you know let's come to Survivor's Vital Signs. If you want a top heavy album, this is. Um, I love side two. I, I just think there's again there's the flow. There's that sort of ebb and flow that we got from side one. Just that it's not kicked off with the with the track of Stunking as breaking the chains. Yet it does contain my favourite song on the album, which is Young Girls. And I also love Rock Bottom. Sorry, Night Rider. I could have sworn when I first heard it, and for many many plays afterwards, I could have sworn they were saying Rock Bottom. I don't know why, but it just sounds like it. Play it again. <laughs> Without knowing it's called Night Rider, like that's possible. But um, that's what I kept hearing, Rock Bottom. You could also hear Rock Goddess doing that. It's a classic, yes. proper Nwobam song. There is a very European sound to this album, isn't there? Yeah, there is, which is curious. Well, clearly he's American. Um, I don't think that's a secret. Um, and so clearly that's um, that's a surprise because he would have been, you know, imbued in the ways of um, of the Stars and Stripes. Um, but he's over, he's over in... Europe cutting his teeth, any, and I think you know yeah. you you couldn't not be influenced if you were rock, if you were any kind of self-respecting performer or musician or writer, you couldn't help but have been influenced by not so much the Scorpions, perhaps that he clearly was, but the stuff that was happening in Britain at the time, and and there's so much of that he's melded in there, which which actually stands him apart, stands this band apart from a lot of the American bands that were coming up in the early eighties because he did embrace, I think, Nwobam a lot more. Yeah, and a lot of those young American bands, you know, where Rat didn't, Rat started off very much because this. I can see what Richard was saying about the Dokken and Rat connection. We hear it with Blotzer and Crucier as well, um, but Rat 
there was no evidence from rat that they were uh, influenced in any way by, you know, Tigers of Pantang or girls' school. Yeah, there was a very definite West Coast sound, wasn't yeah, there, in the early, yeah, early yeah. 80s. And, and Rat epitomised that, you know, probably even more, actually, than, than Motley Crue did. Mm, probably uh, so. All right, so, I mean, talking of kind of embracing the Northern, Northern movement that was going on around the time this was, was written, and Richard already asked about it, um, stick to your guns. Uh-huh. Now, I get the feeling that I'm in, the, in, in a minority of one, I absolutely love Stitchy Guns, and I love it because it's just got the most delicious hook line running through it. I mean, the riff through it, and then and then the way it drops back into that riff from the chorus, it just gets me every time. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I love it. I'm probably not as much as you, but um, I like it when Docking goes a bit, little bit manichetti in that opening verse, a little bit high, hell or high water, I've always thought. Yeah. Um, I'm getting a lot of the rap drive in this as well, that rhythm section. Um, very much so. Um, I just grooves, doesn't it? Rolls along. Um, I get a very similar feeling with Felony, which is another sort of groover and a roller. Um, yeah, no, I love it. Absolutely love Stitchy Guns. I think it's a great song. Yeah, it, it is. It's really groovy. It's an uptick from Paris, personally. Yeah, and do you know why? It's, do you know why we love it so much, Richard? It's the upbeats. <laughs> <laughs> You're learning, Mark. Well done. <laughs> okay. Well, there you are. That's Dokken's uh, debut album, Breaking the Chains. Breaking the Chains, not Breaking the Chains, let's be clear. <laughs> um, time to get some highs and, well, I don't think there are any lows on the album, but um, highs and the not-so-highs, Steve? Um, yeah, not-so-high would be... Yeah, no, no, it's, it's interesting what you say about... Um, I, I never kind of clocked what other people thought of Paris because it would be my low, but it's low within those... Uh, those inverted comma type things. Um, do you know what? Young girls, to me, that's also the template that they would use, um, that Lynch, familiar Lynch guitar line for something like It's Not Love or, or Till the Living End off, off Lock and Key. That's what I'm getting with yeah. young girls. That's the docking direction that I cannot wait to see them pursue. Um, so, yeah, young girls for me. I mean, young girls, the track for me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Richard, <laughs> uh, lowest score um, I gave to We're Illegal. Um, I mean, nice fast ending to side one, but again, just a, a bit more straightforward. Yeah, nothing beats the opener. Nothing beats the title track. I'm with you, Richard, on the low. It's uh, We're Illegal. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was very close between Breaking Chains and Stitchy Guns. But in the end, I think yeah, Breaking Chains just ticks every box there we are nice 81 docking breaking the chains i have a feeling it's going to do quite well but it's time to move on because we're going to 1984 and um well the band that became famous thanks to sylvester stallone um but who were pretty good before that and it's vital science by survivor richard opening album sleeve notes yeah survivor i the tiger um (laughs) Uh, yeah, actually, so 1982, they um, they, they penned Eye of the Tiger yeah, for, for the Rocky Three soundtrack. But two years later, uh, recorded Vital Signs, which is one of my favourite albums. I've been waiting for the opportunity to bring this to the podcast. I think it's just this perfect piece of real polished AOR. 
So Survivor, uh, let's talk a bit about them. They were they were formed um, in the late seventies by Jim Petrick and Frankie Sullivan, who are also their main songwriters and songwriters not only for Survivor but by plenty of other bands. Uh, so they're, yeah, they're formed in Chicago. Vital Science is actually their fifth studio album. It was uh, released in August of eight, 1984, uh, released on the Scotty Brothers label, which is an Atlantic subsidiary, and was produced by someone we've featured quite a few times on the podcast, Ron Neverson. So he that produced Meatloaf, Zeppelin, Aussie, UFO, Thin Lizzy, Heart, etc. So I mean, and his production gave it a really, really polished sound. It was uh, recorded in the record plant studios in LA and also the plant studios in Sao Salito, preceded by Caught in the Game, uh, which was a commercial disappointment for them uh, following Either Tiger. Uh, but then they, they, they this did pretty well for them. Um, it uh, went to 16 in the US. Um, didn't really do anything on this side of the Atlantic that I can see. And uh, it was the first... A studio album to feature a new singer Jimmy Jameson so he replaced Dave Bickler I don't know if you anybody recalls the Eye of the Tiger video and uh, some guy walking along on, in a beret uh, well that was Dave Bickler uh, Jimmy Jameson does not wear a beret or any kind of headgear I don't think uh, so but he he, um, he joined them for for this album uh, so yeah joined Petrick and Sullivan with Stephen Ellis on bass and Mark Drew Bay on drums. Nine tracks on this, uh, five on side one and four on side two. Uh, side one was I Can't Hold You Back, uh, High On You, First Night, The Search Is Over and Broken Promises. Side two, Popular Girl, Everlasting, It's a Singer, Not the Song, and I See You in Everyone. It spurned four singles, uh, all of which did reasonably well in the Billboard 100. And uh, kind, kind of put them back where they, they wanted to be. Uh, I've always loved this album. Um, it's, um, I, I find I think the songwriting in it is, is great. Um, it's, they're a lovely, brilliantly balanced band. And it's one of the most uplifting albums I own. Whenever I'm feeling a bit down, all I need to do is stick on the first two tracks of this album and I'm back in a happy place. So, yeah, welcome, Survivor, Vital Signs. Gentlemen, how have you gone on with it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first two tracks of the album, and then you take it off, presumably, don't you? Is that what's... Uh... <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being mischievous. I, I'm always slightly wary of being escorted down the ARR route um, on our sad men journeys, um, because I'm just waiting for something sort of cheesy and sickly and ballady and grim, and, um, and, and often... These bands don't let me down. But after last, after the last episode, when we, you know, that triple whammy of Witchfinder General, Candlemas, and Entombed, I was actually quite looking forward to this as a sort of bit of welcome relief. Um, and it's not let me down. It absolutely, I, I, I love it. I, I think this is, I think this is brilliant. I've really, really enjoyed it. This is the voice of the mid eighties. Jimmy Jameson is the voice of the mid eighties in rock terms, as far as I'm concerned. This is a band, sort of shamelessly, happily. Um, sort of broaching that divide between rock and pop, and they couldn't give a toss. It's an album that just resonates of that time. And yes, they do go a little bit Broadway from time to time. Um, and if anyone who has listened to the pod before knows Broadway ain't a place I like to go. 
um they're not welcome in broadway the bands we talk, we talk about so um so that's always slightly um that, that, there's a couple of moments there where i'm thinking right we'll 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 talk we'll talk um and then but then but but ultimately um i've really enjoyed it it's, again it's a bit like europe when we did europe and you know you know europe for the final count and then you listen to wings of tomorrow which i'd never heard before and i loved it and obviously everyone knows vital signs but it's just it's just such a it's just such a massive dis- – you almost forget they've done Eye of the Tiger. It almost seems like a different band, um, and that's what's – I like Eye of the Tiger, don't get me wrong, but this is just, this is just, you know, this is just on a different level. Um, first two tracks, far and away the best. Well, no, that's not quite true. There's a couple further down the, the, the build that I like, but the first two are fantastic. Um, and from what I've read, they seem to grate a bit, even with some Survivor fans, probably overplaying, I would imagine. Um, but take me to a happy place. I can see what I can see where they where they take you, Richard. Yeah, a bit of a slow and steady drop off from those sort of dizzy heights. But you know they won't be the last band to top load now, will they? It's been a lot of fun. I knew this album because you, you, Richard, played it to me years and years ago, um, a couple of times, and um, I, I find my relationship with this album to be quite strange because I I love it. I think it's a, a great album. I think didn't you say during the week, Steve, that um, when I said when I, I passed a judgment on Pile Driver, and you said, "Yeah, it's because you like your wanky theatrical stuff," right? <laughs> um, I, I do like my theatre. I do like musical theatre. You know, I, I, I quite like rock when it becomes musical theatre as well, as is evidenced by Meatloaf, um, who I know is a particular favourite of yours. Steve. <laughs> um, but there's some stuff in here that, you know, frankly, could be could be you know bring him home in Les Mis I mean it's yeah. just you know it's just uh, and and at that point I mean I kind of part company with it because yeah. I just think like if I want to listen to to an original soundtrack recording I'll go and listen to an original or original cast recording I'll go and do that with something I actually you know so there are a couple of tracks on here I actually actively dislike um but the rest of it it's really odd there are a couple of tracks that I know really well and really really like and there are a few tracks on here that i really really like but every time they come on i'm going i, I think oh, i'm not sure i like this one and then something happens i go oh yes i do like this one actually this is really quite good and so it's really strange i i really like it as an album and it made me happy i think the songwriting on it largely is exquisite i think the songwriting that they've obviously done for a Broadway musical is exquisite. It's just, I'd rather not have it on this album, but it's brilliant songwriting. Um, the search is over. Uh, apparently, Jimmy Jameson said that um, he was in the studio alone with Neverson when they laid that down. They got a bottle of wine out and got absolutely hammered, and it sounds <laughs> like it. <right? laughs> um, but, yeah, all in all, I think this is a, is a great album. The first time I, I played it this week, I thought, actually, it's just a bit too insipid for me but the more I've played it the more it's grown the more I've heard in it and there's some complex stuff in it um, so yeah it gets a big tick with a couple of kind of big pieces alright well let's let's get into it
It starts with a brilliant pair of songs that I think just sit so well together and kick the album off brilliantly. Uh, then a song that starts like a ballad, but isn't. <laughs> uh, then does come the first ballad. Uh, all four of those about falling and being in love and all of that. And then the uh, the closer to side one is a rockier, slightly darker finish about about being let down. So you've got I Can't Hold Back, High On You, First Night, the search is over and um, and broken promises. So well, let's talk about the, the the first couple, shall we? I mean, I I can't hold back. Is one of my my favourite songs. I think it's a, a brilliant brilliant opener. Um, yeah, twelve string guitar opening it, uplifting. There's emotion. There's power. There's energy in it. There's lifts. There's breaks. So it, it, it's really got it all. Yeah, and, and I do like how high on you then follows it. Um, that's a synth start, chuggier verses, big lift on the choruses. Um, and that those two songs still give me goosebumps when I listen to them every day, every time. Yeah, no, I get, I get that, Richard. I do. I'm going to hate myself for saying this, but I also love the way that Drew Bay introduces those drums on "I Can't Hold Back" because I know nothing about drumming, but I just think it's brilliant the way that sort of staged in. I just think it's. Um, I cannot believe it only got to number eighty in the charts in the UK. I mean, it's not light years away from. When I the tiger, what was I the tiger? Two years before it, so everyone knew him, um, and I just think it's a massive, massive hit. Um, presumably, it did well in the states. Must have done, wasn't it? Yeah, it I well, guess yeah. this would have done really well in Middle America. Yeah, yeah fabulous. That. But yeah. it's the wrong sound for the UK. Do you they think? wanted to, even then. Yeah, they yeah they wanted I the tiger again, didn't they? Yeah, maybe yeah so. that's what we wanted. Yeah, you know, I think I think a lot of the time we are. I, I kind of get quite snooty about it and go, yeah, well, we're more, you know, we're more kind of, you know, um, uh, discerning than than the American than the Americans. Actually, when it comes to this stuff, I think America knows what it's talking about a lot well, more than we do. They didn't even release high on you over here. I mean, what the no. fuck up that was? I mean, that's because to me, it's. I mean, I can't separate them, but I love it. I, I love it as much as the. Yeah, well, and I mean, so um, uh, Can't Hold Back reached 13 in the Billboard 100. High okay. on You got to number eight. I mean, Petterick said that um, I Can't Hold Back was the high point of his collaboration with Sullivan. Quite a lot, I would imagine. They, they've obviously got an awful lot of affection for it. Yeah, there's a, a load of space, isn't there? That, uh, for all of everything that's going on in the in both tracks, there's there's lots of kind of layers and complexity and loads of stuff going on. But there's so much space in it. It's so airy and light. Yeah. They're, 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 yeah. I mean, it's partly that's the songwriting. And as I said earlier, that's a, a really balanced band. So uh, mid, middle of side one, first night. Um, yeah, so starts. I did think when thinking about you two playing this and uh, you'd have put that on and you thought, oh, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Uh, but then no, it uh, it uh, I mean it starts as a ballad, but then turns into I think probably the the fastest track yeah. on, on the album. Yeah, ever so catchy, but yeah, it's the rockiest song on the album. Yeah, I agree, I agree. It does veer dangerously close to bat out of hell territory at times. Um, <laughs> do, 
Jameson said, yeah, Jim can get a little bit Broadway from time to time. Hmm, you think? Um, but, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, given the start, the start was one of those worst moments, nightmare moments, that 30 seconds or so. And I thought, oh, shit. I knew this would happen. I fucking knew this would happen, um, but, but they they pull back and and we and get and we get a really good song out of it, which is brilliant. So here's a question, right? If Ario Speedwagon mm-hmm. and Survivor were having a fist fight in a car park, who would win? <laughs> oh, oh, Speedwagon, without a doubt. Do you think? Oh yeah, yeah. Gary Richards, hard as fucking nails. <laughs> yeah, but then there. there's Kevin Cronin, who's just <laughs> compared compared to Jim James, he's a wimp, isn't he? I mean, you know, that's what I kept coming back to listening to this. Is this is like hearing Survivor and Speedwagon going at it together, and you just think, who would win that fight? <laughs> well, uh, then of course with track four, we do get the ballad. The search is over. Uh, one of two on the album. I don't think it's it's as good as Everlasting. Been interested to hear what you think. I mean, it, again, Jameson's vocals lifts it above the ordinary, though. I, mean, I think his, his voice is is amazing, and I mean, it, occasionally it kicks in nicely. I mean, I, I still like it. It's a it's a bit of a guilty pleasure. Uh, so anyway, it, anyway, talking about broken promises, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> he said he couldn't sing it. Jameson said he couldn't sing "The Searches Over," could he? Because that wasn't his background. I wish he bloody hadn't. Yeah, he said he took a bottle. He said he took a bottle of wine and a kick up the ass from Neverson. Um, <laughs> the only way he could manage it, which is interesting, isn't it? Bit bit Barry Manilow in it. Be honest. Oh um, yeah, yeah, it is oh, absolutely, it's, it's, absolutely. It's it's whereas broken no, promises, it's not. Whereas no. broken promises, any song that kicks off like Breakout by Bon Jovi, it is fine by me. You know, it should be Breakout, which would make it better. Um, <laughs> so it kind of loses points for toying with my mind. Um, but no, no, I, I love broken promises. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Great way to finish the song. Yeah, so do I. But the search is over. Is it? It's like. Every year, right? Every year, my family, extended family, goes to the Gordon Craig Theatre in Stevenage and, and watches the panto. And at some point in every performance, every year, there is some earnest bloke playing the prince, right, who stands with his hand on his heart and sings this <laughs> love story, love song <laughs> to Cinderella or Beauty or fucking Alice, whoever it might be. And this is exactly what he would say. This is ex- this yeah. is a pantomime song. It yeah. makes um, it makes Silent Night look majestic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, let's flip it over then. Side two, uh, only four tracks. No, sort of no messing. Not trying to pad it out with a cover or anything like that. They had nine tracks. That's what they stuck on it. Okay, so yeah, a poppier start with Popular Girl. Uh, the second ballad uh, comes along with with Everlasting. It's a very 80s third track, very poppy. Good, uh, it, it's the singer, not the song. Uh, and then um, uh, a good finish, in my view, um, uh, a nice sort of matching bookend to the, the, the start of the album with uh, I See You In Everyone. Um, so what do we, yeah, what, what do we, I, I think it's certainly for me not, not as strong as, as side one. Um, I like Everlasting. Um I like. I see you and everyone. Not so bothered about the other two that are vying <laughs> really for my um, 
my lower marks on the album. Uh, so, yeah, Steve. So, does that does that differ to you? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. First of all, David Bryan was he was he Jim Petterick's poodle? I mean, bloody hell! Pop, I mean, popular girl. He's nicked that as well, hasn't he? For um, for for yeah. later workings. Um, yeah. No, it's the singer, not the song, for me, Richard. Um, wow. Okay. A great, a real great driving tune. Fantastic solo. Um, I, I think it's a little kind of AOR gem and a great outro, by the way. Not big, not clever, just makes me happy. And I like Popular Girl as well, isn't that hard? I'm, yeah. I'm f- fairly sort of, you know, indifferent about Everlasting and I see you and everyone. Not that they're, that they're not unpleasant, far from it. And I'm with you, Steve. I really like Popular Girl. And it's the singer, not the song, has just got the best guitar solo in it. Yeah, it has, isn't it? <laughs> it's oh, it's just wonderful. Solo. It's yeah, an yeah, absolutely yeah. wonderful solo. Yeah. So, so popular girl and and the singer not the song really are the poppiest poppiest on this album. Yeah, right? I mean, they, you know, you can imagine Madonna doing one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I like Everlasting. It was the second ballad. Um, I love I love the layers, the build to it. I mean, it's, it has got let's be honest, it's got more great soppy lyrics. Um, it has, but big drums, soaring choruses, um, another good solo, and another very good solo. Yeah, and then I see you and everyone uh, uh, again. Ballady start really gets going, um, and and so I, I love it because it it's a, it, it um, when listen to the album end to end, it then it leaves me with this, in the same happy place that I started with uh, with with a gun. I can't hold back. Yeah, no, I have a similar um, similar thing with uh, Der Führer of Doomsday to Deceiver. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and presumably the executioner's here. We'll find out, won't we? We'll yes. find out. Spoiler um, alert. All right, so some highs and lows then, gents. Okay, so, um, well, I, it's easy. Um, I can't hold back is the high, and, um, and my low is the search is over. Ditto on both. And despite the fact that it is a guilty pleasure, nothing's given me – I'm not giving – any real low 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 marks but yeah i i think the search is over is um is my low too and um absolutely i can't hold back um best song they ever wrote okay so there's survivor that's vital signs uh, number two of our inventions albums and we move on another two years and Steve's choice. Please, please, can we uh, not have another uh, death, whatever, fast metal tra- album next week, next episode? Um, oh, this is this is nothing of the sort. This is nothing of the sort. Actually, it's, it's nothing of any sort. Actually, is it? This 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 really shouldn't take long because there's nothing to talk about because because there is no band. There was no band. There was no pile driver. They were just the an accident of, of bad luck on behalf of another band. You couldn't make the story up. Opening album sleeve notes. Stay ugly. So this is Pile Drivers, the notional band's second album. And yeah, they didn't exist. There was there, there was no such thing as Pile Driver that they weren't a band in the conventional sense of the word. Stay ugly was not some sort of you know labour of love by a group of musos who you know spent years cobbling together all this shit. Um, it was thrown together in a few days by a, a couple of mates who needed to get themselves out of a contractual hole. And the one thing they needed to finish the job was a singer. So they had foisted upon them this bloke by the name of Gord Kircher, the pile driver himself, who was flown down to New York from Canada to uh, sprinkle his particular type of stardust 
over the <laughs> over this project and was very much an innocent party in all of this and um and like the rest of the band the band in inverted commas um he appears to have been shat on from a great height so um although but, but funnily enough it's 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 kind of worked out in as much as he is now the exalted pile driver and is touring as such um this thing was utter nonsense um so perhaps it's no surprise we've ended up with what is nothing short of a fairly preposterous but a great fun slab of of cabaret speed thrash um i mean it's like a canadian man of war just faster and maybe a little less endearing and with more stupidity but it's still great fun it's still, i tell you what and and joking aside why joking aside the whole thing's a joke it's a massive and this does contain one track just one song that and i'm speaking on behalf of the three of us that has forever lifted the lifted our hearts one song that just puts a fucking massive smile on our faces always has done always will do um so to that end we were never not going to do this album that doesn't exist by the band that doesn't exist no matter how average it is um because yeah the executioner ladies and gentlemen track eight on stay ugly is just a thing of rarefied beauty um, so yeah, so just just a few little thoughts about Pile Driver Stay Ugly was released in 1986 and recorded in 1986. Some albums take a while to record and write. This one took less than two days to write and was recorded in precious little more time than that on the Cobra label. And the first album on the Cobra label was Pile Driver's previous album, which was Metal Inquisition. Um, Cobra, um, it's pe- pe- Cobra's parent label was Maze Music, run by a guy called Zoran Busic, who Gord Kircher, the driver, has no time for whatsoever and is very, very rude about because the record weasel, the record weasel, that's exactly what he calls him. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, this whole it's impossible. This whole thing is nothing to do with Kircher, it's to do with Virgin Steel, another band entirely, who were. Who were locked in a contract with um, presumably um, Cobra and um, Busich, <laughs> contractually obliged to get out of a contract. And the only way they could do it was to throw out some heap of shit record in no time whatsoever, um, and they couldn't even get the rest of the band on board. So they, so the, the two frontmen from um, from Virgin Steel, David DeFace and Edward Pacino, were told, "Right, you got to do this album, and there's no money in it, and you, you just owe us that." The label said you owe us that, so they did it, and so they wrote this in in two days. They had an absolute, apparently they had sat in front of the washing machine, and it's flat. The face is flat, in, and just had an absolute blast writing this shit. And if you've seen the lyrics, you'll realise quite how much of a blast they had. They had such fun doing it, um, and they wrote in a couple of other guys called uh, Mike Pacioni and Robert Esposito, who they knew. The four of them, so Pacino um, um, was called Bruiser Burnett on the album. Pacioni was called Sal Gibson, and Robert Esposito was called Hammer. Got this stuff written. And realised they needed a, a, a vocalist, so th- they dragged in the bloke who'd done Metal Inquisition, Gord Kirchin, flew him down. They didn't know them, he didn't know them, and they flew him down from, from Ottawa, um, and he did the vocals for it um, and got paid about $250 for it, despite being all over Kerrang, songs all over the radio, because this was a time when this kind of music was was selling, really. Yeah, so he, he but he didn't so he got no money out of it, but a lot of kudos and has obviously taken it on now and, and has you know reinvented the band um, with different people. But that's it's all it was. It, this that's all this thing was. It was just to 
get out of a, a bad agreement with an agent. Um, so they threw this album out. It's not even Kirchin on the out on either album cover. It's it's just they got some actor in. He, he said he, he couldn't even get any um any royalties for being for being the, the dude in the in the gimp suit on the uh, on the album covers. So eight tracks, but because it's written in two days, what I like about this album because it was written in two days, they very cleverly and very economically written one song and just repeated it six times. So to that end. It's it's very efficient musicianship <laughs> from Messrs. DeFace and Pacino. DeFace was also produced the thing as well. Um, so you got um, yeah, the Incubus, Metal Death, Race of the Fire God, and Chaos and Side One. Side Two has a little as is the Lord of Abominations, which is kind of preluded by DeFace just enjoying himself on a um, um, distorter, something called a Warning, and then Flowers of Evil, and finally um, the Executioner. Um, <clears throat> it's just it's just there's just nothing serious to say about this. Um, Having said that, and Mark, did, you, you brought it up, Mark, you did say it's actually been, and it's grown on me again, because I've, I've not listened to this for, I've only ever listened to The Executioner, if I'm honest. It's one of yeah. those albums, it's, it's one of those albums like, uh, there's a few, like Warrior, Fighting for the Earth. Yeah, yeah, I only ever listened to Fighting for the Earth, you know, and then, um, or oh, whatever, I can't remember the title of... Um, Defenders of Nebworth Station? Yeah, well, yeah, no, you knew that as well, yeah, but Malice yeah. is Licensed to Kill, there's another example. I couldn't even name yeah. a single track off that, apart from the title track. To lots of bits, and this is the same with the executioner. But it's grown on me as the week's gone on. Let's not pretend it's, it's good. I mean, no one will do that, I don't think. But it's if you like if you like speed metal, and it's much quicker than the original, than um, the the previous film. Metal Inquisition. Metal Inquisition. This is this is which was of course was written by one bloke who went yeah. on to produce stuff for Alanis Morissette. How weird! I mean, this, how many strange ways are we going with this thing? Um, it was a friend of, of Kirchin's, but yeah, that's all right, isn't it? It's been a, it's been a blast listening to it. It has been, and do you know what? No one, other than the record weasel, I suspect, nobody involved in this project took it seriously. No. You know, I have to say, Gord Kirchin is one of the most becursed people <laughs> on the face of the earth. I mean, how much bad luck one man can can attract is is beyond me. Um, you know, he's he's got a record. He's he's told he's going to get paid a certain amount of money, you know, for a certain number of sales, and he gets a contract which has all of the payment schedules on it, and you know what volume they got to sell to get this amount of money. And then the bit he doesn't read is the bit that says, "But everything that goes above that is is actually wiped out by the fact you're just going to get two hundred and fifty dollars." <laughs> and he didn't read that bit. So when he kept going back to the record wheeze and saying, "Well," you know, uh, how's it doing? And they're going, no, it's not selling, it's not selling. He's just creaming off money. Yeah. And, uh, of course, Kirchin couldn't do anything about it because he'd signed the contract. Um, he didn't even own the pile driver name. Nope. It was only when he said he got the internet in 1995. <laughs> and he'd, he'd been out, and he'd, he'd over the years, he'd heard he'd pile driver coming out of car stereos and, yeah, and nightclubs, and he's thinking, well, I must be doing really, really well, but he's getting no money. He gets the internet <laughs> and discovers that Piledrive got a massive following all around the world. Yeah. So he thinks, right, brilliant. Okay, well, we'll um, we're going to run with that. So he decides that he's going to restart Piledriver. Of course, by that time, there are about 400,000 bands called Piledriver. Um, so he has to change the name to the Exalted Piledriver, he then kind of begs this record weasel to allow him to record a third album, third pile driver album, going, look, we've got all of this melody on Metal Inquisition, 
and all of the speed on Stay Ugly. But, you know, the sweet spot is in the middle of it. So he goes in to record that, hires a studio. Um, the, he's agreed in advance with the record weasel. And they're mixing it. They've been in the studio for days. They're mixing it down. The guy walks in. And Kirchner goes, right, it's 12, I owe 12 grand for the studio. I go, well, no, no, I've got no money for an advance. No, you, have to, you have to pay that out of your own pockets. I've got $12,000 to do that. <laughs> so, so he then calls the, so the third pile driver, third pile driver album is actually um, under the name of a band called Dogs With Jobs. Dogs With Jobs, that's right. Yeah, but even then, they were supposed to have a Rottweiler on the cover, but the Rottweiler got run over the day before the photo shoot. So they ended up <laughs> oh, I didn't know dog. that. They didn't look scary at all. But do you know the saddest oh, thing? I never knew that. Do you know the saddest the sadder? <laughs> They're sadder. It gets sadder. The gimp suit is now so rusty and so old, he gets toxic shock every time he puts it on. I mean, fair but, play to him, Mark. At least he's, he's at least he loves the pile driver so much that he's at least getting something, getting a kick out of it now. Yeah, late in yeah. life, and you know. And you know what? I would still rather listen to that album. Some of the stuff that we've listened to over the last, oh, two yeah, years, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, 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 yeah. because. Because you know, I don't know. I don't know whether you've heard much Virgin Steel. Um, I, I, I listened. I, I had a couple of Virgin Steel albums back in the day. They can write music, so yeah. no, it's not bad. Mm. It's not. It's not no, a bad no, album. No. And I think, um, but you're absolutely right. It, it's the same. It is the same track, just yeah. cut into eight parts. But they were never going. They were never going to overthink it, were they? I mean, it was. They did it for a purpose, and that was just to get someone off their back, wasn't it? So, um, and that's kind of why you've got what you've got. But. Yeah. yeah, what a laugh, Richard! You enjoyed it. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, because of the similarity, it is incredibly hard to mark or actually put any difference in marks between the songs. I mean, the, you know, the, the 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 first three on, on side one have got precisely, exactly the same riff under the verses. <laughs> yeah. um, it might be my ears, or it might just be another re- really special, you know, pile driver, a little bit of. Um, audio theatre at the end of or beginning of the tracks um but i'm sure even on the spotify version of this i can hear the dust crackles because <laughs> i think it's been digitally recorded from an album <laughs> and it's stuck up on spotify brilliant right well i'll tell you what let's um let's have a little chat about it and so before we do it let's have a little a little run through and see listeners if you can tell any of it apart
So, yeah, as I say, side one um, only got four tracks on it, and they're pretty much one and the same. The Incubus, Metal Death Racer, The Fire God, and Chaos. I mean, yeah, I mean, once you've heard Incubus, you've pretty much heard the album, if I'm honest. Um, I mean, you've certainly got the style, um, fast riff, repeated throughout, Gord's, I can call him Gord, I feel like I know him, um, Gord's ludicrous vocal style, which is repeated throughout, preposterous lyrics, which obviously um, the face had, a, had, a, had an absolute blast writing, uh, wonderfully fast, messy guitar solo, some, a decent riff in there, you know, Pacino could play the guitar, um, and it's repeated throughout, and that's the Incubus, um, the, the only difference that also had the added bonus of a utterly revolting finish that I can't even begin to explain what's going on there. Um, I don't know enough about incubuses, but um, yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's cabaret metal. Um, metal Death Racer, see, uh, see the incubus. The Fire God, see the incubus and Metal Death Racer. <laughs> Chaos, see the, yeah, you know where I am with this. That's where we are. Um, it's fast and it's fun. It's fast and it's fun. So anyway, now it's time to rank the album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what I would say, what I would say, that I've got a couple of highlights off this. I do actually think I, I have found, I've, I found a discernible difference to the extent that I think the Fire God is actually the pick of the tracks on side one and is the second best, therefore, on the album. Um, I love the riff. Yeah, okay, same riff, which does race along, well-controlled. Kurt's daft theatrical vocal. Spotting any difference? No, not really. Decent tune. So same template, but there's a great solo. There's a solo with a blinding backbeat in that, and it kind of crunches to the line. It just elevates a little bit above. But And before I finish, the other thing I like about this side of the album is Metal Death Racer. There's a point in Metal Death Racer where Gord, Gord's vocals, he's just all over the place, and it actually sounds like he's doing a kind of cartoon commentary from Mario Kart. And if you've not heard it, it's absolutely hilarious. Um, That's right. It's like it's like he's, he's going around the corner on two wheels, isn't he? He's going. Whoa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, Metal Death Racer and Fire God are just a complete uh, repeat of each other. <laughs> I mean, they are, they they absolutely are the same stuff. Chaos is my favourite on. Oh, Fire is it? Cause, yeah, because yeah. different riffs, some tempo changes. They 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 thought a bit more about about that one. I mean the, the, these these little the, the little recordings as well. I mean, yeah, the, the, the start of the fire god. There's a really good quality recording of a nice crackling fire, isn't there? I mean, <laughs> I mean it, it doesn't sound like a particularly scary fire god. Um, <laughs> more of a, a comforting, warming one to come home to. <laughs> oh dear, Mark, Mark, <laughs> talk to talk to me about your high points. <laughs> Look, it, it's the whole album is is more or less the same. Chaos is is you know a different track. Fire God is slightly different, but broadly speaking, it's all the same, isn't it? Hmm. But um, don't laugh. But there is there is a certain amount of panache and style to it as well. Pardon? Yeah, there is. There is. It's it's, it's but it's in its own. It's in, in its own style. So I think that one of the reasons why I quite like it is that stylistically, they may not have thought about it a great deal, but they have actually brought it all together in some kind of strange, bonkers way. I, it has really grown on me. This well, I'm, not, I'm never going to play it again. But you know, I'll tell you what, going back to what you're saying about the songwriting, I mean, that's quite good within less than two days. I mean, we joke about, I mean, we, you know, yeah. to, to write... 
one song, seven songs, whatever, it, it, in less than two days. That just, that's, takes a bit of skill. Must do. Here's, here's the test. If you had to listen to one of them, will it be this or Hammer Horror? Oh, this? Oh, but by a million miles. Yeah, listen, you've only got to look, yeah, going back to your early point, you've only got to look at the album cover, haven't you? You're not getting Robert Plant. It's, this is pure, senseless, stupid rock. If that's a, if that's not, I've just created a subgenre, then I'm I'm very proud of that because um, that's what it is. And it's um, I'm just listening to Chaos now, actually. And it, 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 there's a little, but Richard's right, a little bit more to it. The, the, the way it kicks up in pace after the second chorus, so it's yeah, almost like a yeah. two pacer. You know, yeah. another great guitar solo. Um, all his solos are the same as well, by the way. They're very good, but they're all out of control and messy. And it's um, yeah. you know, mastering that that's quite a skill. <laughs> <laughs> what mastering messy deliberately yeah. messy deliberately messy yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 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 right well sadly we're gonna to have to leave the mess of side one behind and flip it over onto side two so uh, this will take even less time and it all kicks off with the warning which is just a spoken word as i say it was deface who did it um and it's merely an intro to lord of abominations in the spirit of this kind of music it's just ghastly and pretend monstery and it's um uh so anyway effectively side two has three tracks on it and the lord of abominations is unsurprisingly over the top pretty daft not the worst galloping riff and then well to be fair when gord stops singing the band takeover there's a decent guitar solo yet another one um but it's not going to save it flowers of evil don't smell the flowers people um because they're evil oh yes because gord says so um (laughs) Does rather follow the trend, speed metal riff, OTT vocals, breakneck guitar, so they crash to the finish. Um, and then we're done with the shit and we're into the executioner. So I don't know whether you've got anything to add about Lord of and Flowers of. Um, well, Flowers, I just couldn't, I, I just I just assumed that this is would be what John Otway would do if he was doing speed metal, wouldn't he? <laughs> as soon as I heard, beware of the flowers. Yeah. <laughs> It's just... Because you know they're yeah. going to get you, yeah? They're fucking dangerous things, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I've been saying that for years. <laughs> I mean, how much... How how hard were they laughing when they wrote all this? Yeah, yeah. That's that... I, I, every time I listen to this album, I just think, they must have had an absolute riot. Yeah, let's just let's just move on to um, to the grand finale, the climax, the coup de grace, the pièce de résistance, the... Creme de la creme, the <laughs> cul-de-sac. I can't think of any. <laughs> um, the Executioner, and a song that, as I said at the start, has a very special significance to your three sad men. It is stupefyingly magnificent, utterly preposterous. And, yeah, and there's a little bit of difference, isn't there, to the flow of the previous tracks. doesn't necessarily make it a better track. Um, and I'm already thinking about how do I mark it? <laughs> do I mark it musically or for how much I love it? which are two very different things. Um, but, yeah, it's actually a pretty... It's, it's a decent slab of metal. Um, you know, you just cannot overthink it. It's just a blast. Trip down memory lane and a blast. What's not to like? I mean, I, I think for, for transparency's sake and for the tape, as they would say in a police procedural, we need to be clear on what we are marking because, um, I mean, just to be serious for a moment, I've always marked based on the merit of the music, regardless mm-hmm. of how I felt about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we have to do here. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, but it, it seems it, it's it's counterintuitive because I love this track mm-hmm. so much. Mm-hmm. It is it is preposterously good fun. It's just a romp, isn't it? 
just yeah. a brilliant road. Anyone who's not heard it, it's just one of those highlight tracks. If you don't listen to any pile driver ever again, and I dare say you won't, um, just just <laughs> just dig out the executioner if you're just in the mood for just a just a laugh. Richard, it's it starts slower. It's got it's got more structure. Um, I'm going to say this and chaos are the they've put the most thought into writing. You know, maybe mm-hmm. about twenty seconds, but mm-hmm. they, they put the most thought into into writing. It is sheer musical theatre, isn't mm. it? Um, and yeah, it's in there with Hammer House of Horror. It's it's in there with Bat Out of Hell. So, I'm, Steve, I'm fascinated uh, how you mark it against Bat Out of Hell. But I tell you why I'll mark it a hell of a lot better, hell of a lot higher than Bat Out of Hell because I like speed metal. And this is if if, if there's one thing about this, this is speed metal, isn't it? For all the the smoke and mirrors and bells and whistles, that's what you're listening to here. And to that end. I'll never be, it's going to have to be pretty shit to disappoint me anyway. Um, so, so I'd always mark it better than bat out of hell. So right. Highs and lows. Can you separate wheat and chaff? <laughs> or, or chaff and chaff. <laughs> In the words of somebody, you took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> well, yeah, they, they've, they have pretty much scored much of a muchness. One that scored slightly lower is Lord of Abominations, and um, it's between Chaos and the Executioner for my high. But it's such fun, the Executioner, isn't it? So, so that that gets top spot. Do you know what? It's it's I, there are bits of all of these that I actually quite like. So the flower, flowers of evil, I quite like, if only because I still it still makes me giggle thinking of John Otway doing it. <laughs> um, the Lord of Abominations, I quite like because I find the chorus quite catchy. So it's really hard. Um, look, The Executioner is absolutely um, the the strongest song. If I had to choose one, I'd probably go Metal Death Racer. Yeah, I, I can feel your pain, Mark. Um, Flowers of Evil is um, is Malow, and um, yeah, who's there? Who's at the door? The Executioner is. Um, is top ranked by uh, yeah by a decent distance by a decent distance I love it a bit so there you go um, that is the third and final album of this episode we're now going to mark these track by track and then stick them in the hall of fame reviews complete initializing rating process okay so uh, Dockens breaking the chains was the first album we looked at uh, well it did pretty well really. Um, Steve and Richard, you were very close together. Steve gave it seven and a half. Richard gave it 7.45. Um, I obviously liked it a little bit more than that. Uh, gave it an 8.1 uh, to give it an overall album, average album score of 7.68 dead. Um, what about Survivor, Richard? Yeah, not dissimilar uh, in terms of total score. So it, uh, it, in the end, got a 7.67. So marginally below Dockin. Um, that was made up of, again, you two giving it very similar, around seven and a half. And then I'd liked it that bit more, not surprisingly, 7.94 from me that made up that 7.67. Um, and uh, I can't hold back. I think got the track of the night in terms of uh, scores. Uh, I gave it a maximum because I love it. Mm-hmm. Steve gave it a nine. Mark, you gave it a 9.2. I think that just beat... Uh, Breaking the Chains, which was our other big favourite, which, again, that got nine and aboves uh, from each of us. 
So, uh, and uh, what uh, what nine and abovs did we get on uh, Pile Driver? Yeah, Lord of Abominations <laughs> um, got thirty seven point eight three billion. Um, yeah, no, no, didn't get anywhere near. Funnily enough, I quite like Stay Ugly, as I think I made clear. Um, I gave it a seven point one four. Um, a little bit lukewarm from you, chaps. Six point three from Mark. Six point six from you, Richard, for a total score of six point seven. Um, and all I care about when we open the doors of the Hall of Fame is whether it's done any better than uh, than Warfare and Hammer Horror. So let's pop over there and have a look. It's time to put the rock in a hard place. Opening the Hall of Fame. Right then. So in answer to my question, um, it has Pile Driver Stay Ugly has fared better than uh, Hammer Horror by Warfare. Slightly unfair comparison. They're not identical albums at all, but they're both sort of you know nonsensical metal if that's a genre. Um, so there you go. Pile Driver's done it. Anyway, it's wound up at number 197. Nothing to to brag about, after all. Um, Number 197 um, out of a grand list that goes down to 222. Anyway, so from the butt end of affairs, much further up into the 70s, in fact, very close together. Um, The other two albums that we looked at in this episode, um, Survivor's Vital Signs at 74, um, Dockens breaking the chains at seventy-two. Um, the bread of a sandwich that contains ZZ Top's Tres Hombres. That's the one that's between the two of them. Um, yeah, fuck all between them. Seven point six eight for breaking the chains. Seven point six seven and a bit for for Vital Signs. So yeah, high sevens gets you into the seventies. Um, and yeah, boys, any surprises? No, because like you, I wasn't really sure uh, where they might end up. The scores for Dokken and Survivor. I mean, top in our in our top hundred or nearly top seventy five. Does that make it essential status? Who knows? But uh, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose so. Yeah, yeah. And you know, to to go back to that, you know, does it make it essential listening? Listen, to get into the top hundred now, you've got to be scoring seven and a half or above. I think anything that makes the top 100 now is doing pretty well. Yeah, agree with that. So, um, all right, well, let's think about next time around. So I'll tell you, before we do that, let's have a, little, a quick resume of what you do have to get to be in the higher echelons of our league. So, I said the top five. Um, it's not changed for a while now. 1984 Van Halen is at five with 8.475. So, that's the, uh, that's the scores these albums are aspiring to. Uh, Machine had Deep Purple at four, Led Zeppelin four, Led Zeppelin at three, Ride the Lightning by Metallica at two, and still leading the way is um, Back in Black, ACDC, with a grand total of 8.73. So there you go, these three albums that we did this week by Dock and Survivor and Piledriver um, didn't trouble those lofty heights. So what about next time? Maybe the three we choose for the next episode. Um, we'll give them a run for our money. So what are they? Okay, so uh, if you were listening to last week, then you'll know that Tico spat out drummers. Oh, yeah. Didn't he? Spat out drummers as uh, as the theme for next week. And I, I could see Richard having to hang on to his hat. Um, <laughs> so excited. Um, so I, I, I've kind of written down the albums that I think you two will choose. Um, you'll probably, you, you may or may not have any idea what I'm going to choose. but um, But I can tell you, that uh, the, for the next week, you will be spending your time in the company of Wine Tees or Yesterday and Today's Struck Down. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Leonard Hayes is my drummer of choice for next week. Very good. 
So, Steve, you should go next. Yes, yeah. So I think you thought I was going to produce AVH back in... Yeah, I did. Yeah, well, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're very wrong. Uh, A man I've championed before, um, and it enables us to play probably, and I could be wrong, the longest track we will play um, throughout the pod, 23 minutes worth of Supper's Ready by Genesis, Foxtrot, and Mr. Phil Collins. Ooh, okay. So I can't. I uh, we we. It's been too few episodes since we played a rough. Episode, <laughs> so I can't choose my favourite drummer, can I? Um, so uh, as Mark touched on earlier, with a few of those uh, ghost notes, bizarre gardening act. <laughs> yes, we are going for Mr. Jeff Procaro and Toto Four. <laughs> yeah, three eclectic albums, and uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. That's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, that'll be um, some interesting listening for the three of us over the next few days or so. Yeah, don't forget, look at the website, www.entersadmen.co.uk for any information about the show, what we get up to. Hope you've enjoyed the show as much as we have, and we look forward to your company again next time. All the best. Cheers. All music clips featured in the Enter Sad Men podcast appear within the context of criticism and or commentary, and as such are used under the fair use provisions of the exceptions to copyright rules of UK and international copyright law. To make sure the rock rolls forever on, Mark, Steve, and Rich urge all their listeners to show their love and support for the artists and writers featured on the show by purchasing the original music or subscribing to a licensed and regulated streaming service.